Well, let's take our Bibles this morning, and we're going to turn not to the book of 1 Corinthians, but we are going to turn to a book. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew and our, our passage this morning will be verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew writes as he is superintended by the Holy Spirit. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place in fulf to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle our text this morning gracious heavenly father again we thank you for your word and we thank you for its richness we thank you for its clarity and we again pray this morning that your holy spirit would teach us from your word we know that nothing good will be done here unless he teaches us and so i pray that you would illuminate these truths to our heart that you would convince them convince us of the truths of this passage and that we would go forth rejoicing in what we have learned about our Lord Jesus Christ here this morning I pray all to your glory in your name amen well since the enlightenment we have really been dealing in a time where we have for the first time and we've discussed this before, been in a world that has a worldview that excludes God. In other words, no longer is God the foundation for which the world is seen. In fact, it's been replaced by man's intellect and by his reason. And so man is now sought to explain everything in the world through the process of the scientific method. And I have said before that the scientific method by its very nature is anti-God because it, it must explain everything naturally without any supernatural. There's no room for that. And of course, we would understand that it has immense effect upon the thinking of society, but it has also had an immense effect upon the church. Because how can we give the gospel to people and how can we talk about the things in the Bible that are supernatural if the world rejects them? And so if we're going to get their respect and if we're going to be able to talk to them, we're going to have to be, explain away these miracles and we're going to have to explain all the supernatural in a natural way so that they will accept it. 
And so, of course, that has crept into the church, has crept sp- specifically into the liberal church. It's, it's now crept into the intellectuals, quote, of the church, who are trying to ingratiate themselves to the intellectuals of the world, and now they start to deny of the miracles of the Bible. And we start to explain them away. Because after all, those are superstitions and we're just smarter than we used to be. And with the advances in medicine and the advances in science, we just know so much more about the world. And these poor people who had their superstitions in the first century were just simply accommodated by the word of God because they just weren't where we are. And of course, that attack has continued and is attacked. this attack has continued on the virgin birth of Christ, or as I like to call it, the virgin conception. After all, we all know, and we've all seen that babies are not born by, with just women. We all know that there is a father somewhere. And so though, though this is a nice tale, it certainly couldn't be true. Now, this may have been bought by those poor, dumb people in the first century, but certainly not by us. Certainly not by us. And after all, does it really matter at all? Does it really matter? Does it really matter, as Bob, Rob Bell says, if we found out that Jesus' father was a guy named Bob? Does it matter? Does it really matter? Well, we're going to answer that in a minute, but, but he, you know, here's the other thing that we need to recognize. Unlike those who us, because of the process of evolution, are so much smarter and so much wiser than those who've gone before, we have to recognize that the question of Christ's birth and his lineage is not new. We didn't invent it. In fact, those poor people in the first century certainly realized that Jesus couldn't be born of a virgin either because guess what? They questioned his heritage. They questioned his heritage. Right? This is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen to this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ Whose son is he? And they said, the son of what? David. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him that question. nor did they dare ask him another question, right? The stories were out there. The stories were out there. Jesus was, what, born to to Mary, but Mary, everybody knows that Mary was, what, pregnant before she was with Joseph, or, or at least before she was married. Illegitimate son, right? And so the question actually of who Jesus Christ was and whose son he was began not with the Enlightenment, but in the very first century as they questioned where Jesus Christ came from. 
Now, Matthew is going about to answer that question, and he wants to tell you who Jesus Christ is. And so he begins the first part of this chapter, and he begins with the genealogy, and he says, here's, here's Christ's earthly genealogy. Here's his earthly origin. He's in the line of David. He has, through his father, the right to be the son of David, to be the legal heir to the throne. But it's not enough for Jesus to be just what? The son of David. It's not for good enough for him to be just a king. But Matthew wants to show us that he's much more than that. He wants to show us that Jesus Christ is what? God. And that it is the Holy Spirit that conceived Jesus and that it is necessary. Why is it necessary for Jesus to be virgin born? Well, some of you might just recollect that there was in, in this genealogy, there's, a, uh, there's a, a king called, I just lost his name, Jokaniah, Jokaniah. Some, some people call him Jehoiakim. And he was cursed. And the curse that was placed upon him was that none of his descendants would sit on the throne of David and what prosper. If Jesus was the physical descendant of Joseph, he could not have what? Sat on the, king of, uh, the throne of David and prospered. Because God had cursed him and said, none of your descendants will sit on that throne. So it was necessary even just for that fact that Jesus Christ would not be a descendant of Joseph. Jesus needed to be more than just that. He needed to be what? He needed to be God in order to be what? To live a righteous life. He needed to be conceived of God so that he would be what? The seed of who? The woman. Not of man, not of Adam, but of the woman. It was promised to the woman that the seed would come from her. If it was a man, it would have been a seed, in this case, of Joseph. It was necessary for him to be what? Holy. It was necessary for him to be holy. Luke one thirty five says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, speaking of Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Holy. It was necessary for him, in order for him to be sinless, to be holy, was to be what? conceived by the Holy Spirit and in order to be called what the son of God in other words to take the title of being the son of God which means if he is the son of God and in the first century we understood when you were someone's son you were of the same what substance in other words he was God and so is the virgin conception as I call it is it, is it important? You bet it is. Everything that we believe, Jesus Christ could not have been the Savior. He could have not died for sins. He could have not died for the sins of many. He could not have lived a perfect life unless he was what? God. 
And so it is absolutely necessary for us to believe in the virgin conception of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew here is going to go through our text and he's going to give us four testimonies or four witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ is virgin born. He's not going to leave it to chance. He's going to, he's going to convincingly tell us that the Lord Jesus Christ is, has been virgin. He has a virgin conception that he is not an ordinary human being, but that he is God and that we must worship him and recognize him for who he is. And so this morning we will see those four witnesses that testify to the virgin conception of our Lord Jesus Christ so that we might recognize him in his divinity and for all that he is. Well, first of all, this morning we simply see the declared witness of Matthew. He begins this section and he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now it's interesting. He says the, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is as follows, and yet we have no details about the birth at all. <laughs> right? If this is Luke, Luke gives us some details, but we really have nothing. And this word here really is the same word that is used for genealogy. It's like he's making a parallel between them. It's an origin. This is the origin of our Lord Jesus Christ is what he's saying. This is the beginning. This is where he comes from. Just like his genealogy showed you where he came physically, what descendant he came from, he's now going to show his spiritual heritage. It's his spiritual origin. This is where Christ came from. He says, now the origin of our Lord Jesus Christ, you could translate it, was as follows. This is what took place. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be child, with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, again, we want to understand what's going on here. Mary and Joseph have been betrothed. Now, this is a little bit more than a promise ring. It's a little bit more than our engagement. What took place in the first century was that the families would get together and in the first stage of marriage, or in this, in this whole uh, wedding uh, scenario, the first thing that they would do is they would make a contract between the families. So the families would come together, the parents would come together, and they would agree that their children would be, be wed together. And there would be a betrothal period and so the, the, the couples would be basically legally married. Once that, that document was signed, you needed a, a divorce in order to get it taken apart. It wasn't like an engagement where you just say, here, take your ring back. This was where you actually legally had to go and get a divorce. You had to go through the court system in order to get divorced. And usually during this period, which was normally about 12 months in duration, it could vary. There was no fixed address, but for about 12 months, these people then who are being wedded had very little contact together. But it was a time to, to make sure that everybody was, was okay with it, that, that there was, if there was any problems, often it would be to check fide fidelity of each partner 
And so it was a time of, of, of legal marriage, but really nothing else took place. And during that time, they would often give what we would call a dowry to them. They would give them money to, for, for, the, for the girl. And so the father would, would decide to give money to the bridegroom's father in order to pay, help pay for the wedding. Uh, sometimes it was also a, like a, a life insurance policy for the girl because if, if, if the guy got rid of the girl, the money had to come back. And so if the, if the guy wanted the money back, he had to and get it in inheritance, he had to stay married. And so this, this dowry would be paid. So the father would, would give some sort of money, whether that was, was some cattle, some, some sheep, uh, maybe a goat. Maybe some of them would, would actually give the other guy a goat, just take her, I'm not sure. But, but the, idea was, the, the idea was that he would pay the, so to help ensure the, the wedding etc and so it was in this stage in this stage between the actual wedding ceremony and the signing of this official document that it is found that Mary is with child so the idea is it's, just, it's discovered it's not that they were hiding it it's not that they were somehow keeping it under a blanket but rather that it was just found out you can't hide it after a while and so now it is found out that she is with child, but she is with child by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is not anything that she has done. And, and, and Matthew is right up front by the Holy Spirit, originated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon her in some way, used her humanness in some way in order for her to become pregnant. Now, if we are those big believers that God created the earth out of nothing and spoke it in long creation of six days, he took his time, how easy would this be for God to do? Are we going to sit here and say, man, alive, that's just, that's impossible. If he created the world and everything in it in six days, six 24-hour days, how hard would this be? Right? Look how busy he was on the day that, that, that Eve was made. That was a busy day. And that was just one of the things he did. So how hard would this be? Not at all. And so Matthew points very clearly, very, very carefully at the very beginning, and he says, this originated not from man, not from something that Mary did, but by the Holy Spirit, he is the one who produced this. And so are we to argue with Matthew, who is writing under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, so that what he wrote was inspired and absolutely true and correct? Are we going to argue with this? Now he says before they came together. That's a euphemism for coming together in sexual relations. They did not come together before that time. 
in a time before that time, they had not come together, she was found pregnant. And he makes it clear, it was before they came together. Period. End of story. And so Matthew stands up and says, listen, this one that is conceived in the womb of Mary is conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit. He's not, does not have a human father. He is, has a divine father. Well, it says in verse 19, and, and really we'll get on to the witness of the angel. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not one to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. So it says he was found, she was found to have been pregnant. In other words, Joseph found out too. He found out and now it's, it's out there that she's pregnant. Whether, whether it, he found out secondhand, whether she actually told him at some point, whether he discovered it, whatever that is, here's Joseph finding out that his bride-to-be is pregnant. Now notice this, it says that he is a righteous man. He was a righteous man. In other words, he was a man who was in right standing with God. He was, a, he was a Jew who was in right standing with the law. He was a righteous Jew. He was one who followed the law. He was one who was in, in obedience to all that God required of him. But it's interesting when we, when we think about this, we, we're thinking when oftentimes when we think righteousness, we just think that he's well behaved. But he stands really with several other New Testament people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were said to be righteous before God. They were blameless. And there's an inference here that Joseph wasn't just righteous because he behaved well when he kept the law. He was righteous because like Abraham, he had been granted righteousness from God for his belief and obedience. And like Zacharias and Elizabeth, he was a what? An Old Testament believer. And so here is Joseph, a righteous man, righteous in behavior, righteous in character, righteous in standing before God. He was a true saint. And because he was a righteous man, he was now in a predicament because now he has, he has now been what? Betrothed to a woman who is pregnant and he knows it's not his. I don't know how well he knew Mary but he's probably sitting in shock at this point. He's in shock. I can't imagine that he wouldn't be. And now his mind is racing and he says, what, what do I do? And he says, and, and, but he says, I, I don't want to disgrace her. In other words, I don't, there, he had really two options here. I mean, according to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy, if, if, if a woman was caught, found in adultery or if people were found in adultery, you simply stoned them. That was, pretty short, pretty sweet, took care of the problem. 
But the Jews were no longer keeping, which is, which is ironic, in this area and in the areas that suited them, they, they actually made the law a little lax. They added to the law and the things that they could do, and they fasted more than they had to, etc. But in this area, because it was convenient, they had become a little lax. And so he, Joseph really had for himself two options. He could make her a public example. He could charge her openly in a public court with having committed adultery. So he could, he could take her to court in front of the whole town and he could have got them involved and she would be shamed. She would be brought to trial. She would be convicted in everyone and her reputation would be ruined. And Joseph's like, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. So he had the second possibility. The two parties could get together before two or three witnesses and write out a private bill of divorcement, such as indicated in Deuteronomy 24. And so they would write this out, this private little bill of divorcement. And, and what he would do is just simply quietly divorce her, set her aside, and move on. He wouldn't, he wouldn't destroy her reputation. He wouldn't make it public. He would simply, as he said, plan to send her away secretly. That, that, this is what I think I'll do. These are my options, and this is what I think I'll do. And it says, but when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So you can almost see Joseph here, and just by the context here, that he, is, he has been thinking about this, and he lays down, and this thing is on his mind. And you, you've all been there when you've had troubles in your life, and things are bothering you, and you lay in your bed, and you toss to and fro, and you're just considering all of your options. What can I do? What's going to happen? And I'm sure that's what's going through his mind as he is laying on his bed and saying, these are my options this is really all that I can do. And you can imagine the turmoil that's going on in his heart. And as he's reflecting and as he falls asleep, he says, behold, an angel of the Lord. And he says, and it's basically like, look, and there's a change of direction here. And almost before that Joseph can put his plan into action before he can actually move. God steps in in that, in, in that time in between his plan and his implementing it and says, behold, look. And, and the writer again is saying, behold to us, look, pay attention, not, not to Joseph. He says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream so here we have, and again, this, is, this has happened with Mary. There's been a few people who have had angels appear to them and to bring a message from God. This is not an ordinary dream. This is not an imagination dream. This isn't something that his brain's playing tricks on him. This is God giving him revelation through an angel. And so this angel appears to Joseph and saying, Joseph. Well, that's a good place to start. That's his name. Joseph, son of David. Now that's interesting. Right away, he goes to where? His heritage, right? You, Joseph, son of David. In other words, you are in the line of David. You have a royal claim to the throne. That is who you are. You are connected to King David. 
He says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I find that interesting. Because most of the time when when an angel appears, he says what? Don't be afraid. I have a message from the Lord, right? Here he doesn't even start there. He starts with what? Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't start being afraid. Here's the real issue, Joseph, in your life. Don't be afraid to make her your wife. Don't be afraid of the fact that there will be public trouble that comes with this. There's going to be rumors. Your reputation may take a hit. Right? There's a, there's a very good chance if she's pregnant and they're not, they have, the wedding has not taken place, guess what? It's Joseph's reputation that goes down too. Remember, he's a righteous man, a righteous, in righteous standing before God. And now his reputation is at stake as much as Mary's. And he says, don't be afraid to take on that shame. Don't be afraid to take Mary to you. Don't be afraid of the ridicule. Don't be afraid of the loss of reputation. And he says, here's why you shouldn't be afraid. Here's why you shouldn't be afraid to take her as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The child that is in her has been is of the what? Holy Spirit. Now the angel testifies to the same thing. Jesus Christ has been conceived by who? The Holy Spirit. Matthew said it. Now the Holy Spirit through the, this angel is saying it to Joseph. Joseph, I know you have a plan. I know you have a directions, but whoa, stop. There's something else you need to know. Mary has not been unfaithful. Mary has not betrayed you. What is being taking place is miraculous and it is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And just so that you make sure you know it's not Joseph's, look at the next line. She shall bear a son. She shall bear a son. Not you, Joseph. It's not yours. She shall bear it. She shall have that child. She will be the one who who brings forth this child. She's the one who conceived it, not you. And you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. For he will save his people from their sins. Who's he talking about there? Who's his people? Well, first and foremost, whose Messiah is he? He's the Jewish Messiah. Right? So first of all, he came to what? To the Jew first and then what? The Gentile. But was Jesus only the Savior of the Jews? 
No, the Abrahamic covenant says it's much wider than that, right? You will be a blessing to what? All nations. The Jews were to be, to be a light to what? To the whole world. And ultimately, Jesus is coming to save who? I think I heard it from the front. The elect of all time. All those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All who put their trust in the Messiah to come from the Old Testament. All those that God has chosen. He has come to what? To die for them. Because Jesus said what? I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No man cometh the Father, what? But by me. I'm the only one, the only way, and I am the one who come to save all that what the Father has given to me, and I will what? There's nothing. And so Jesus came. He came to save all those for whom the Father gave to him. And so the angel says, this one, this child, this conception is again done by who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So now we've had two witnesses. Matthew, as he writes under the Holy Spirit, now we have the, the angel who appears and speaks to Joseph. And now we have this third witness. We could say the witness of the, or the testimony of the prophets or the prophet. So he breaks and he kind of makes a, a, a parenthetical statement here in, in a sense. He says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. In other words, this Holy Spirit conceiving in Mary was exactly what had been prophesied in in scripture in the past. God had said that this would take place. This was not something that was a surprise. This was not something that was unorganized. This was the plan of God all along. And you can see that through through the genealogies as they come down in Jesus in in Christ's earthly side. Now you see it specifically in Christ's spiritual birth in his spiritual conception God is in control all along this is not a surprise this was ordained in eternity past to take place and so here is this prophecy in Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. God with us. And so he's saying this is the fulfillment. This was prophesied. This is what was to take place. That exactly what you see taking place with the Lord Jesus Christ is taking place. That this was already in God's plan. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. Again, the virgin shall be with child. Right? There's no man there. Again, the emphasis is there is no man. And she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
Now we understand as we look at Isaiah chapter 4, I mean, uh, that this is a quotation of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And if we, if we go back, back, back to the context here, we recognize that King Ahaz is under attack. He's being attacked by Assyria. He's under attack and he thinks that the, 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 the Judah is under attack and he believes that the kingly line is in trouble, that if, if it's going to be cut off and there will be no king to be left on the Davidic throne, that the heritage will be cut off. And it is in the light of that panic, in that light of that call, that God gives this promise and says, listen, actually, there is going to be one to sit on the throne. There is going to be a king that comes. There is going to be one, an heir that will continue. And this is what's going to take place. And the virgin shall be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. In other words, there's coming a king. There's going to come a king to sit on that Davidic throne, and he's still coming. And this is that fulfillment. This is the one that was spoken of. This is the one. This is the child that is spoken of. Now, some have disputed whether the term in Isaiah chapter 7 refers to a virgin or not and they go up and down and they go backwards and forwards and they say well it could refer to a woman who's not married it doesn't necessarily mean a virgin and they go back and forth and they and they and they want to say well it doesn't we're not really sure well it's interesting because the Septuagint translated this with the same Greek word that we have here for virgin so the Jews understood it to be what? A virgin. But forget all of that. Does it really matter what the Jews thought? Does it matter what anybody thought? What does Scripture say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? A virgin shall be with what child? That's it. If you, want, if, you want, if you want some clarification, if you want to nail it in the coffin, the Holy Spirit, right here, Matthew, under the inspiration of the, whole, under the superintendence of the Holy Spirit, has written something that is inspired and absolutely true, and he gives you the correct translation of that and interpretation. She was a what? Virgin. And so it says, this is, this is a fulfillment. This is what was said would happen. This is a fulfillment of that promise, which translated, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, this one that's coming is more than just someone from the Davidic line. He's not just another human being. He's not just another king. He's just not another heir to the throne. But he is who? He is God. He is absolutely God, 100% God. This child that has come is now what? God with us. And we have to understand that unless Jesus Christ was born of a virgin through the Holy Spirit, there's no way that he could be God. 
He needed a divine conception in order for him to be what? God. And for what Jesus Christ was going to do, he could not be just human. If Jesus Christ was just another descendant of David, he couldn't have paid the price for sin. He couldn't have lived a perfect life. He couldn't have died for many. At most, if he had had lived a good life or a perfect life, he could have died for one. But even that was impossible unless... He was divine, unless God had granted him to be born without sin. And it was only because he was divine that he would be able to withstand the wrath of God on the cross and, and suffer eternally in three hours for sin. How does that happen? Don't know. That's God's business. But he did. And so the scriptures, the scriptures also, the prophecies from the Old Testament, from the prophets confirm that Jesus was what? Born of a virgin. He had a virgin birth. He was not conceived of man. He needed to be virgin born so that he could be what? God with us. And so Jesus Christ now can sit on the throne of David. He can prosper there and he will. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Well, lastly, we really see Joseph's testimony we already saw a bit of his response here in verses 24 and 25. Joseph awoke from his sleep and as did the angel of the Lord and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary of his wife. Now you can imagine, put yourself in, in Joseph's footsteps. I mean, we don't know how old Joseph is. We assume that Mary's fairly young. Joseph may, be, may have been young. He may have been in his 30s. We don't know. You are planning to get married, right? Maybe you have that. Everything is going rosy. Everything's good, right? Bang. You find out that the girl that you're betrothed to is pregnant, You've gone through all the agony of thinking it through and, and doing, trying to do what's right. You want to honor God, but you don't want to unnecessarily give harm. You've come to peace in your mind, and then the whole, the, an angel appears to you and says, get married anyway. Can you imagine? It's like, she loves me, she loves me not. Like you're going in different directions, and now all of a sudden you're going to have to reverse directions because you've already said, I'm going to get rid of her, and now, and now what? Now you're changing the other side. And yet Joseph must have believed it. 
Joseph must have believed in the virgin birth and he must have believed the angel that the Holy Spirit had conceived in Mary. Because remember, Joseph was a righteous man. And yet he was willing to even forsake his reputation for what God said was right and true. And so Joseph awoke and t- from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And the idea here is that he married her. He went through the ceremony to marry her. And that's it, because we know from the next verse, but he kept her a virgin until he gave birth to a son, until she gave birth to a son. In other words, he was perpetually in the habit of keeping her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. He did not go into her. He purposely kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. Joseph thought it was important enough to restrain himself, even though legally he had the right and morally he had the right until she gave birth to make sure that everyone knows that what? This was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This was not his. Joseph was convinced. Joseph, who knew that babies don't come out of the air, believed this. And I would suggest to you by by the, the sound of his character that this young man, however old he was, was mature and had the ability to think critically and yet he still understood this to be true. And he called his name Jesus. That's what the angel said. And you shall call his name, what? Jesus. And so when he was born, he named him Jesus. He gave him that earthly name, Jesus. And so Joseph puts his testimony to the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was what? Conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous act of God who created life in Mary using all that she was in order to give him life so that he would be born both fully man and fully God. He needed to be both the son of David and the son of God. And so this morning we are called to what? Recognize Jesus Christ for who he is to recognize that though he is the son of David and he had the rightful throne to come through his father, Joseph, and he ultimately had a physical descendant through Mary, that he is the legal heir to the Davidic throne, that he is fully God and fully man. He has both of those things and you must accept both of them if you are going to accept the Jesus of the Bible. And we must affirm that Jesus Christ is God. And it is only God who could pay for sin. It is only God who could live the perfect life on earth and pay the ransom for sin. 
And so this morning we are called to stand firm on the word of God that Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it, that that Jesus Christ is God. And this baby that is born in Matthew is this book about Jesus being the king. Jesus is the king of king and Lord of lords. And we must bow our knee to him. And we must accept him as God. I trust that each one of us will go from here affirmed. Recognizing these four testimonies to the divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he was born of the spirit. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony to the miraculous birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was not conceived by man, but by the Holy Spirit, that he has, is not just a man, though he is man, he came in the flesh, but that he is also fully God. And I pray that we would worship this God and recognize him for who he is. And that we would always stand on your word, that we would trust in your word, knowing it is written by your Holy Spirit. And may we worship our Lord Jesus Christ for all that he is. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.